Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw the market trade move its way mostly lower as the path of least resistance was to the downside on Monday. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today on the show. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you along for a conversation about what's happening in the markets and issues impacting rural America. Coming up here on the show today, we're going to talk markets with John Heimberg from Total Farm Marketing. We'll also get a look at weather in South America and here at home with Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient Ag Solutions. And coming up here in just a minute, we're going to have another conversation with Tony Molers from Bravant Seeds, retail product agronomist based in Northwest Iowa. First up, though, as we kicked off the week coming out of the holiday, markets, as I mentioned, trading a little bit lower on Monday's session here with wheat leading the way to the downside, just a lack of a fresh story, it seemed like, and that path of least resistance was to the downside. That's what I talked about with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, in our midday commentary. And here's what Arlen had to say about Monday's trade action, starting with the grains. We simply don't have a story for corn and wheat. Soybeans are, you know, getting a little bit of support from adverse weather in Brazil, but even that's not enough with weather forecast today as we look out to week number two than what we had on Friday when we left after the holiday. Um, so there's not a lot to hold up these markets right now. And with corn dropping the new contract lows for the December contract, putting it at new three-year lows, Chicago wheat fall Falling to new three-year lows, Kansas City, Minneapolis, new two-year lows. It's just the path of least resistance is lower. And so far, end users are letting prices come to them. You would think at some point uh, these bargain basement prices will find some demand. But so far, end users are benefiting from letting the market come to them. I know in the soybeans, too, we're looking to test a key area of support here around 1325. I know late last week we got that court decision affecting uh, ethanol and RINs, and I know that had an impact late last week. Wonder maybe if that's spilling over into this week as well to go along with the lack of story in corn and wheat, Arlen. Well, I think the market's really kind of moved past that because we're seeing soy oil bounce today. Um, soy oil is what really took it on the chin hard last week. Does it affect corn? Yes, it certainly does. But I think corn is probably more the focus on, hey, we've got a lot of corn out there and demand is soft this morning's export inspections did little to change that perception on the demand side for, for any of these commodities, frankly. Um, and then when you break through charge support, the sell stops are there and any funds still holding long positions want to get out. 
Arlen in the livestock trade as we look over at cattle and hogs. We're uh, lower again here on Monday. Had a really rough day in Friday's shortened session. I feel like a, a lack of eyeballs uh, on the cattle market especially led to a, a pretty sizable down day on Friday. and looks like some follow-through here on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. A wild sell-off day for both hogs and cattle. We actually saw open interest grow on Friday for both of them on those down days. No real news to speak of to cause that. Kind of consolidating today. We did start off with higher cattle, but that's starting to week lower now once again. Um, We're seeing a little bit of strength in the nearby because of the cash market. Last week's cash cattle trade, mostly 177 in the south, 176 to 177 in the north. The slaughter last week was less than what we anticipated, considerably less at 538,000 head, and that's down even 9% from where last year's Thanksgiving slaughter was at. So we are tightening up the supplies of cattle going in, but those weights continue to be higher. The latest data for November 11th, the week ending November 11th, showed steer weights up four pounds, matching their all-time record high. All right. Once again, Arlen Suderman with StoneX joining us for our midday commentary. All right. Right now, let's switch gears and talk about what is new in the product pipeline for Bravant Seeds heading into 2024. Joining us once again here this week, Bravant Seeds retail product agronomist in Northwest Iowa. Tony Molers is with us. And Tony, great to have you back on the show here this week. Hope you're doing well. Jesse, doing well as always and very uh, excited to be here with you. Well, I know we kind of teed this up uh, during our conversation last week on the show, and I'm excited to uh, dive into this a little bit more with you as we are making those seed decisions for 2024 and beyond. I know there's a lot of exciting things going on with Bravant Seeds right now. Let's start from a trait standpoint. What is coming down the pipeline from Bravant here as we head into next year? Jesse, this is a fun question and uh, one that I really get excited about when you start to look at the new things that uh, that we get to bring forward and offer our retail partners and their customers, our growers out here. Uh, and there's two really big things that are that are coming down the pipeline and we're working on uh, as we build out our portfolios for 2024. First and foremost, that would be the new class of elite soybeans uh, offered in the Bravant uh, E3 platform. Uh, so proprietary genetics that we're bringing to retail uh, with fantastic results data and agronomics. So that would be the first one. Uh, and the second one, Jesse, that we're very excited about is as we work into 2024, uh, the launch of both PowerCore Enlist and Vorseed Enlist uh, trade technologies on our corn side uh, of the portfolio. So a lot of fantastic traits here that really, uh, one, are are bringing fantastic yield potential. But then, of course, they're also helping us combat uh, some of these major pests that we're seeing out here in northwest Iowa. Rootworm is is a major conversation uh, in in a lot of these high uh, corn-on-corn growing areas. And Vorseed Enlist bringing in uh, a a really robust uh, three-mode-of-action trait package to combat rootworm uh, is is going to be just what the doctor ordered as we head into 2024. Well, I hate to make you pick, and I'm sure you, you might not be able to pick here because uh, there's a lot of uh, great things going on. What most excites you about the future for Bravant Seeds with some of these different traits that are being announced and some of this great R&D that's happening uh, underneath the Bravant umbrella? 
that that is tough. Uh, and and what I would say is is when you really look at the big picture of what Bravant is bringing forward, I I would say I think what excites me the most is how robust and and how differentiated our offering is within retail. And and we we're waking up every day with the goal of bringing something new, bringing innovation, bringing new tools and technology into retail so that our retail partners and their customers uh, have a really uh, stacked toolbox uh, to, to be able to have a fantastic success, high yields, and then of course, again, uh, combat some of those major pests that, that we see out here. And so again, when I look at just how robust the offering is on both our corn and our soybean platforms today, uh, that there's there's a lot to be excited about there as, as we move into the future. Well, I know folks can learn more. Go to Bravant.com or contact their local ag retailer. We've been talking with Tony Molers from Bravant Seeds. Tony, thanks for joining us this week at Market Talk. We appreciate it. Take care. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Jesse. I appreciate it. All right. Coming up next year on Market Talk, we're going to take a look at weather for the week ahead here in the U.S. and South America. We'll talk with Eric Stodgrass from Nutrient Ag Solutions on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Stay up to date and listen to past episodes online at markettalkag.com. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. Well, as we wrap up the month of November, a lot of folks are closely watching weather in South America. That's a big topic for us here this week. Also taking a look at some snowfall in parts of the U.S. here over the holiday weekend. Joining us now to talk about things, Eric Snodgrass, Principal Atmospheric Scientist with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Eric, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us. And uh, let's start with South America. I think that's what's on a lot of folks' minds. We, we saw traders really kind of step out of the markets over the holiday because of the weather in South America, waiting for new forecasts. So what is the latest that you are seeing in terms of Brazil and Argentina here as we round out the month of November? Yeah, it seems to be one of those time periods where you kind of pick your model based on your uh, your, your market position. So if, if you need it to be really dry in, in Brazil, then you just go after the GFS. It's very dry, probably over about 35% of Brazil's northern growing areas. Uh, it's got better rains in southern Brazil, even in parts of central Brazil. So I'm talking like Mato Grosso do Sul over to Goiás. It's got better rains. And then they all look pretty good for uh, Argentina, both the uh, GFS and the European model. Uh, the flooding issues in southern Brazil continue to be an issue to be talked about. But if if you needed more rain, if you if you wanted the rain in Brazil, then you go with the European. It's probably only got about twenty, maybe twenty five percent of uh, you know uh, of Brazil's northern growing areas experiencing really dry conditions. That being said, you know you look at the uh, change compared to a year ago in terms of the vegetation health from as viewed from satellite. And while it looks way better south and looks way better in Argentina, but that's easy to do because Argentina was deep in drought last year at this time. Um, you know, the only places that really show up really, you know, major difference are northeastern Brazil, which is a bit surprising given how much emphasis we've put on uh, the problems that have hit uh, Mato Grosso. So uh, not out of the woods yet. 
uh, it's going to take about a perfect December to kind of stop the bleeding. Uh, and don't trust a single long range forecast. Just don't. A lot of folks are getting pretty speculative about what they think is going to happen. And I'm just going to tell you, those same folks didn't see what's happening right right now happen. So I, I'm living in this two week world, I'm not going to step outside of it till I have something confident to say. And where am I getting confidence from? Well, I'm not getting it from El Nino. I mean, it's it's there, but it's punching about half as hard as we thought it would at this point in the year. So long answer to your short question, Brazil's going to continue to be top of mind until we see how December rains pan out. And short term here, the next couple of days ahead, it looked to me like a lot of scattered showers in the forecast. Yeah. Is that kind of what we're looking at here the next few days, Eric? Yeah. And, and normally that's what you get in Brazil. It's just that you get it every day. Like there's no yeah. stop in the scattered showers. And we didn't have that back in, in, in early November through mid-November. So yeah, it's... Uh, some parts of it are, are are looking fine. I think we're going to be okay. Certainly the extreme heat, if there is any, it's in the east. Uh, so it's not like it was two weeks ago when we talked, when I was like, it's going to be 110 degrees for seven straight days, right in the heart of their growing area. We're not there now. But uh, still, you know, it's not settled at all. Let's move up to the U.S. And I know some folks here uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend got some snow. And behind that, some cold temperatures, some blustery winds. I know some folks in the upper Midwest are going to see wind chills below zero here early this week. So uh, it sounds like a, a little shot of winter is uh, making its presence known here as we head into December, Eric. Yeah, and it's good. A lot of that snow hit the winter wheat belt. I mean, parts of Kansas picked up eight inches of snow. We had across parts of Missouri into Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, a big swath of about four inches of snow. There's not much moisture in it, but there's moisture in it, right? And so we, we like to see that. Now, you mentioned the colder air. Yeah, we've got it. Uh, it's not just here. I mean, it, it's also in California. Parts of California right now this morning already down uh, below 30 degrees. That's the Central Valley of California. I mean, that's that's a big time a big producing area that, that that just went over, you know, quite cold. And then you see the lake effect that's about ready to take off. And I wish, I know I'm heading to Fargo today. I wish I was going to like Syracuse or our Swigo because they might get 30 inches of snow in the next couple of days as the <laughs> lake effect really cranks up. So you can get that big lake effect snow events are always in November and December when the lakes are still very warm. So a lot to be watching uh, in those two areas, but the rest of us, nothing. We're, we got to wait till later in the week. Severe weather risk in the Southern Plains late this week. And then I'll be watching a big sto uh, storm system in the midsection of the country come. Gosh, it won't be here until we get into, uh, you know, maybe Sunday. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Some things to watch there. Mississippi River, some of the snow that we got and looking at some of these other systems coming up. How is that helping in terms of uh, river levels, Eric? Yeah, you know, the river bounced back up over the weekend. Uh, it's now only five feet below the stage. Last week it was nine feet, uh, so it's good to see some moisture getting in. But, I mean, we'd have to, you know, if, if, if you asked me, Jesse, to dial up what I want, let's just do that, right? Uh, wish cast for a few seconds. I don't like the fact that the whole of the Mississippi Basin is still sitting at, like, on average, 2 to 5% soil moisture at 16 inches. We did this last fall. It was there in the spring. And that's what started us off on the wrong foot in spring. Okay, I would like a mild winter. I'd like a mild front half of winter. Make December mild, bring in lots and lots of moisture, make it very unpleasant, but make it make it fix the problems. What I'm talking about here is Southwest flow, persistent storm systems. It's wet, it's mucky, it's muddy. You're gonna hate it, but the soil's gonna love it. 
And then once we get past maybe mid-January, I'd like 20 days of deep freeze. Let's call it mid-January to mid-February and just blast that soil, knock the temperatures way, way down, works on compaction, works on pests. And then once March gets here, really active freeze-thaw cycle to bust up that soil. I mean, I love late March snowstorms, bring them on and then get us into a wet April and then just give us two weeks in May to kind of get everything finished up that. So there you go, Jesse, that's my wish cast. And you say, well, can it happen? Well, not really, not with an El Nino like we have and not with other factors competing against it, but that would be what we want to watch. We would cure a lot of us drought problems if we could get that to occur. I'll file that back into my memory and we'll yeah. see how much of that comes true here as we head into 2024, but good thoughts for sure, Eric. Some of those other factors that I think are influencing things with this El Nino and more that I know you wanted to hit on today, cold Europe, wet Australia. Let's talk about those two factors here first. Yeah. So um, right now over Greenland, a big ridge is building in. Now, if you're an East, East Coast United States snow lover, you want that later in the year. But as it stands, the big Greenland Ridge is actually going to hit Europe harder. A lot of cold air coming in throughout Europe in the next uh, uh, here in 10 days. Snow, big snows in the Alps. You probably saw some of the big snows at Ukraine over the weekend. Uh, so there's, yeah, it's pretty cold in Europe. And then Australia. If this El Nino was a typical El Nino, I wouldn't be talking about rain in Australia yet from Queensland to New South Wales, Victoria, even parts of the Northern Territory, picking up decent amounts of rain. So this is why I would tell anybody watching that if you hear a long range forecast, just understand that that forecaster is being speculative. We're looking at these individual pieces, trying to put it together, and uh, no one's going to have this one figured out just yet. It's a lot of transition as we go now into uh, you know the month of December. Meteorological winter starts on December 1, and uh, we're going to see how this all shakes out in the next uh, four to six weeks with El Nino finally hitting its peak. All right. And the last thing for us here, and I should have maybe tied this with the Mississippi River because this ties into shipping challenges for us, the Panama Canal. What is the latest you're seeing in terms of uh, the levels on the Panama Canal and what we're watching there, Eric? Yeah. Well, if you base it off ship traffic, they're all still sitting at anchor. I was just looking this morning. So many uh, still sitting at anchor. But then you kind of get, um, you know, a little bit east of that big lake that's in the middle. And there's, or excuse me, a little bit west, forgive me. And there's been decent rain. How much of that gets into the river, I, I don't know. But I would look at the overall setup and say that we have to have December rains in this area to stop kind of the major worry about what's happening in, uh, in Panama. Because if we don't, we'll be talking about this all the way to next June. All right. Well, a lot of things to take a look at. Folks can stay up to date with the latest weather information in their area and sign up for Eric's weekly weather newsletter. Just go online to ag-wx.com, ag-wx.com. With that, Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient Ag Solutions. Thanks for joining us this week, Eric. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, see you then. And once again, Eric Snodgrass, Principal Atmospheric Scientist with Nutrien Ag Solutions. And you could sign up for his weekly weather newsletter, as I mentioned, and get the latest uh, forecast for your area, your hometown, your farm. Just go to ag-wx.com. Again, ag-wx.com. I'll 
give it a little more of a plug here. A uh, lot of stuff up there. You get Eric's latest YouTube forecast videos, a lot of different weather maps, and you can type in, as I mentioned, your city or location and uh, get the latest forecast details very easily. Just go to ag-wx.com. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at the markets. We'll get an update on how things started the week with John Heimberg from Total Farm Marketing. We'll be back with more Market Talk right after this. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, on Monday's trade action, mostly lower. We set new lows in wheat, December corn, uh, another sharp day down in feeder cattle, and that spilled over into live cattle and hog trade as well. Soy products, though, and soybeans largely mixed on the session Let's talk about things uh, now post-Thanksgiving holiday. We welcome in John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing joining us here. And John, good to catch up with you again. How was your Thanksgiving? Hope you had a good one. Yeah, solid day. Got a little surprise win from the Packers. We weren't counting on, so that made things even better yet. <laughs> um, but uh, not not liking the change in weather, though, with the snow here. And now today pushing, uh, trying to get above 15, 20 degrees on total temperatures. And the wind is a howling, so... Uh, winter has shown up the, the couple days after Thanksgiving here in, in, in Wisconsin. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, old man winter showing us that he's not far off here after the uh, Thanksgiving holiday and, uh, go pack, go make the, we'll see if the temps stick around might make that Sunday night game against the chiefs coming up here. A, a nice cold one in Lambeau field. We'll have to see, but enough football talk. Let's, uh, yes. let's talk about what's going on in the greater livestock sector. And, you know, Friday was that shortened session, a lot of volatility, a lot of downside volatility, and wondered if that would hold here as we got into Monday. Well, for the most part, it did. And uh, as I mentioned, new lows in wheat, new lows in December corn. I know first notice day here, uh, there's a lot to unpack, but really it just feels like corn and wheat especially lacking any sort of story right now, John. Yeah, you know, overall in the grain markets, you know, December corn, new lows today, push March following suit, kind of, I was watching that low from the 13th, kind of hoping that was an area maybe that we could hold our ground and didn't seem to do that too well. Did like the fact March kind of now the more active contract as December's winding down here, you know, did hold into that 475 and seemed to want to be gravitated back to it. You know, corn market wasn't going anywhere, big technical breakdown in the wheat market again today, just kind of really weighing on the on the cereal grain prices overall so you know beans acted a little bit independently we saw some decent strength in the products i kind of kept looking at the bean oil market and the bean meal market at least mixed to firmer and you know strength in that bean oil market kind of kept waiting for beans to maybe kind of kick in but i just think the selling pressure of the other two grains is limited its potential upside here you know plus obviously watching what's going on in brazil and the weather you know so we'll have to see what tomorrow gives us 
I, you know, to me, again, the encouraging side of it for corn was the fact that, you know, we're, we're down at these new levels. We've got that new low in. Maybe we can hold this here. We'll be shocked to see a little follow through maybe in the overnight into the morning. But, you know, we're at a spot here, long-term trend line right below us that could hold us. We bounced off that multiple times and, you know, basically going all the way back to last summer. And it might be a spot that we could get some flooring. Not saying we're going to be off to the races to the upside, but at least maybe an area that prices can find a little stability because, you know, I'm pretty – Pretty certain talking to producers right now, we're getting to the stage where the corn is harvested, it's in the bin, the stuff that's had to move is moved, and now they're going to probably close the bin doors and say, all right, you want this, come pay for it a little bit, and we'll see if the demand is there. And that's going to be a big thing, a big key to watch is will that demand be there or not? I know we get updated uh, commitment to traders data out late Monday afternoon. We'll get a, a crop progress report that should pretty much show everything is wrapped up or very, very close to it. So uh, it's going to turn to that demand picture. And right now, you know, I know corn has had a bit better demand story than this time last year, but it's still not necessarily the greatest demand story on the corn side, John. No, it's not. And that just basically comes from the reflection of large supplies left over from the South American supplies spilling over into our kind of export window. And, you know, we're just not seeing that business that we really need to move the needle at this time. You know, we've seen the export side pick up a little bit more routine sales. Mostly, you know, Mexico has been a big buyer of corn. You know, we're still missing that Chinese customer, which you know, right at this stage, uh, I don't think we're going to see, you know, that business come at us unless all of a sudden prices really get reasonable. Uh, so with that being said, you know, we'll have to watch today. We got export inspections. They were soft. They're below expectations at 470,000 tons or about 16 million bushels. Uh, obviously, that was influenced by the, the Thanksgiving Day holiday and the shortened week and things of that nature in play. You know, the Mississippi River, again, is a little bit of a concern in terms of the water levels and getting grains down to the ports. Then you got the Panama Canal as a concern point is getting grains across the ocean or wherever they need to be. So all those things kind of come into play as this market continues to look for positive news. We're not really getting any. Uh, and at this time frame, the funds are sitting on a short position. They don't have any reason, at least on the on the fundamental side, to want to get out of that until that news comes. So even if we do see some footing and we start working ourselves in a sideways, sideways, a higher fashion, you know, off of this break, and I don't, I'm not seeing a major move here unless something changes on the news front that gets some urgency to get the funds out of that short position. And I think to your point there, I think funds probably even added to their short positions in corn and wheat on the day on Monday. In the case of soybeans, if you look at this market technically, we did bounce off of and hold the 200-day moving average in January beans at 1325. I think maybe a, a little bright spot with some of that strength in meal and uh, oil that you mentioned earlier. Uh, so technically didn't break through a pretty key support level, at least on Monday, John. That's got to be a good win for the soybean market. Uh, yeah, given the pressure in the markets in general today, I wish the beans could have found a way to stay at least in the green. You know, we, you know, about an hour or so left in the session, we're trading three, four cents higher. I wish that, that would have helped. That would have been nice to see, you know, hey, we got a reversal, we finished a positive, a little bit more of a bottoming type signal. You know, today finishing basically dead smack in the middle of the range down a penny on that January contract. You know, not really much of a signal there, you know, so probably going to consolidate. 
Obviously, the focus is the South American weather. Seems like things are moderating. You know, it depends what you hear. Uh, again, you're talking a country that is massive in size. And even though some areas got rain, some did not. Uh, and there's going to be some production losses. Now, the problem is we're seeing some of these analysts bring production down and they're lowering it from you know mid 160s to 150s, which is still even with last year's record. So, you know, it's really not like we're seeing beans dry up and disappear out of Brazil and then throw in the fact that Argentina looks like the weather's come around pretty nicely and they could get back on task in terms of their, their production cycle which realistically is going to bring us a record supply of beans coming out of South America. So what gives beans its strength in the front end is purely the meal market, the lack of beans right now from Argentina, the lack of farmer selling in Brazil that's keeping premiums tight, that keeps the U.S. being competitive. The only thing this late planning and this weather right at this stage is doing is keeping our export window open a little bit more. There was chatter that China was in the market buying U.S. beans again out of the Gulf, or excuse me, out of the Pacific Northwest last night. Nothing was confirmed, so we'll see if those rumors get confirmed in the next day or so. But that just allows us a little bit more room to work some tight, our tight supplies and maybe tighten them up. And that's going to give support to the front of the market. But there will be a time frame in here especially if that Brazilian crop seems to stabilize, Argentina crop comes at us, this market's going to say, well, U.S. is tight, but we got plenty of beans coming elsewhere, and we're going to need to reflect that price, which right now in the spring, Brazil and those export beans are trading significantly below the price levels that we are offering, and that could be a situation that could set up a pretty nasty spring in terms of price movement, kind of like we saw last year when we got to the 1st of March, July beans are trading about $15 on those tight supplies and good demand. And we realized that South American crop was going to be a monster. And the next thing you know, by the 1st of May, we were down two and a half bucks. Good thoughts to think about there. And I want to ask as well, I mean, you mentioned this earlier that a lot of uh, what needed to move to town moved to town and now the bin doors might be shut. I mean, any thoughts or anything that farmers need to reassess and think about risk management wise here as we head into the month of December, John? You know, I'm going to still reiterate what I've been talking about for weeks now, and, and that is protect the carry in the market, you know, and, and use those put strategies. If you're going to put it in the bin, you're paying for storage, put a floor under it, please. You know, again, this might be one of those years where we just continue to see this bleed out. You know, now we've saw December go through the September prices when September came off the board. Uh, now, again, close taking all that carry out. We got a carry of 20 cents basically to the March contract. When December gets done, does March take that carry out? You know, so you're taking on a lot of risk between, you know, first off interest charge, storage fees, as well as the carry, as long as supplies stay relatively heavy. I'd much rather watch puts go nowhere or be worthless in your price holds and, and trying to figure out where we are, you know, now that we're, you know, pushing 450 on a March price if the price continues to bleed like it is. So that's the biggest thing I'm looking at right now selling calls against that carry, buying puts, holding onto that $5 handle for May, trying to hold onto that $5 handle for July. Now we're below there, so we're buying a little bit, you know, close to that 490 point. You know, just protect what you got because, uh, you know, I'd rather watch a put go worthless and the market take off and run 30, 40 cents because of a media concern or global issue or a weather pop that comes up that we don't expect uh, versus just this constant bleed out. Again, we've mentioned before, the funds are short. 
They have no reason at this time frame to get out. So what they're going to do is they're going to take their short Decembers. They're going to capture the 20 cents of carry and roll them to short marches and pressure this market there. And then they'll continue to do that step for step until there is a reason that they need to get out of that short position. And right now at this time frame, I'm not seeing it. Once again, we're talking with John Heinberg from Total Farm Marketing here today. A few of the closes from Monday, December corn down seven to three quarters, 455 and a half. March corn down seven and a quarter, 475 and a quarter. January soybeans, one lower, 1329 and three quarters. March down a half penny, 1348 and a quarter. Bean meal, bean oil up slightly. December Chicago wheat down 14 and a half, 534 and a quarter. December KC wheat down 12, 590. Spring wheat, December down 12 and a quarter, 684 and a half. Live cattle, December down 147, 168.77. January feeder cattle, 652 lower, 212.80. February hogs down 185, 66.92. We will be back with more here on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are talking today with John Heimberg from Total Farm Marketing as we assess Monday's trade action. John, let's go over to livestock cattle. I thought Friday was maybe a one-off with just you know a lack of eyeballs on the market and lack of volume as a shortened session went through. We took a big hit to feeder cattle, especially that spilled into the fat cattle trade and into hogs too. But then come back in here Monday and mid-session. Kind of just started to do the same thing, and we ended out sharply again in feeders, and that's built into fat cattle and hogs. So what is your assessment? What exactly is happening here in this cattle market to start? You know, it's been a rough two days. We're talking $13 off that January feeder contract and two sessions, and that's that's a heck of a push. You know, and just like you said, you know, today, you know, we, we started soft, rallied nicely. It's like, okay, there we're getting some footing. And then the sellers kicked back in. And we were kind of all over the map today. But then we ended up obviously on the downside of things here as the sellers just continue to push. You know, this is a money flow thing right now. It's a technically driven trade. Uh, I know those are hard to explain. But again, it's just the fact that right now there's nobody wants to step in front of this and hold on to those positions just given the way the market is trading, not so much the fundamentals. I mean, you got cash last week now trading about, you know, eight to $10 above the December contract. So that should be supportive. You know, just talking to people, they wish they could find feeders for 212 out in the countryside, you know, where January feeders are trading. You know, we'll probably get in a very aggressive snapback and, you know, a V bottom type trade off of this because we're going to overextend it more than we need to. And then you're going to see this thing just roll over and, you know, stops fire and off we go again. Not saying we're going to go back to the highs, but at least get some good price recovery to maybe a more manageable level. But the problem is I'm not sure where the bottom is. You know, was it today at the low? Is it going to be tomorrow on a break? Uh, you know, I go look at long-term charts. There's still some room for that feeder contract in January to get down to the 210, 209 level. You know, we are still, believe it or not, with this pullback and an uptrend going back to that big uh, weekly charts that go all the way back to 2020. We're just going from the top of the range to the bottom of the range. Uh, so 
with that being said, you know, might stay cautious here for the through, through the end of the year. We'll see. Um, I was kind of optimistic. Maybe the cattle market last week, you know, typically we see some stock market rally at the end of the year. And I thought maybe that could spill over. But right now it just feels like the money is really not interested in the commodity space in general uh, here. And cattle seems to be the one that's leading the way to that downside. You know, that's still, I think, a bigger picture thing that we got to keep talking about. The talk of lower inflation, anti-inflationary type environment. An mm -hmm. election year is coming up. We're within a calendar year of the next presidential vote. You know, that's a time frame that commodities could be seeing some pressure to keep prices down. So we'll have to watch how that plays out. And obviously cattle was probably the one that was the most overinflated with the most room to tumble. And here it is in this case. So hopefully we can find some footing. The fundamentals are still there to keep this market supported. But right now that the fundamentals don't matter uh, when the money wants to leave as aggressively as they've been holding on to these long positions. They're leaving them very, very quickly. I'll rope hogs in here as well, because I, I think hogs uh, really been tied to this cattle market here the last uh, two sessions with some of the downtrended spillover. But I mean, what should producers consider here backing off what you just said about uh, the overinflated nature of the market and, and watching things here to the end of the year? I mean, how do we manage our risk in the livestock sector right now when it's so volatile to the downside and then you got the comparison to the cash markets, et cetera. I mean, how do we navigate this the next few weeks ahead, John? What do you think? Well, you know, in terms of the cattle market, you know, focus on the cash market. What's out there? What are you being offered? You know, if there is some availability to lock in profits. You jump on it based on the cash, given the trend in the futures. You know, we're going to see some disconnect between the two, and we obviously are you know, in terms of the price move here. Then you go look at the re-ownership side and just maybe have some paper over top some of those sales if there's something that works, okay? And, you know, again, not talking to producers where we are for, you know, bids and quotes for April and springtime cattle. Obviously, they've come down here, but if there's still profitability or some meat on the bone, make sure you're taking advantage of it. You know, throw a safety valve put in here to, quote, unquote, stop the bleeding, uh, but that could turn money against you. You know, this very well could be an opportunity again to look at the longer side of things. Probably use call strategies, so you got a, so you got some fixed risk. Get those in place. You know, if the market were to find some bottom, let the market rally back. If you hit to a point where, hey, I can make a good cash sale, we got it. The paper's already over top. You know, it can take care of the potential upside if things were to really kind of kick back in this spring. You know, that type of thought. So it's tough here, you know, because a lot of a lot of value has disappeared very, very quickly. And again, we don't know where the bottom is. You know, are we sub 200 for feeders? Not sure. So, you know, if you're still concerned about the downside, pick up some short term feeder puts. Don't pay a lot for them. At least stop the bleeding per se. And, uh, you know, really focus on where the cash market is and what can get you some profitability. You know, at least some movement, maybe back to the upside that you can secure and then think about taking advantage of a strong sell-off to do some re-ownership. John, before we let you go, any other final thoughts, uh, either livestock or we haven't touched on dairy yet, uh, but I'll, I'll leave it to you. Floor is open. Any final thoughts for us here today? You know, let's touch a little bit on the pig market. The price is there. We're seeing some drop in Chinese hog prices right now. Uh, again, disease concerns, a lot of liquidation, pork really moving into the system. I was a little concerned about the hog market the last couple of weeks. Just looked like it was getting tired. And now, obviously, with the cattle sell-off, it's following suit. So, again, you know, look at those summer prices. You know, the milk market's been extremely rough. Cheese demand seems to be drying up a little bit in here. We got decent production on the milk front. Uh, so, we've really seen milk prices, you know, again, looking at some decent values, mid-17s out there into the spring. 
charts still look weak, like those continue to want to bleed out. So, you know, right now the commodity space in general just feels very, very, you know, soft in terms of its tone. We need some positive news. You know, even as I'm, I'm looking at potential rallies, maybe corn gets a little footing and gets some climb. You know, I'm, I'm hoping we can find a way to get 25 cents out of it over time. Okay, it's not going to be quick or aggressive. It's going to be three steps forward, two steps back. Next thing you know, we got 20 cents in. Guys will start selling again and down we'll go. Take advantage of price pops. Make sure you're building some defense underneath those or making some sales incrementally and reward yourself, you know, in these markets right now because going into the first part of 24, it looks a little bit shaky, at least right now, where the money wants to be overall in these markets. John, if folks have questions and want to talk with you about managing their risk in the markets, I know they can reach out to you there at Total Farm Marketing. How can they get a hold of you, John? Sure, love to chat with you anytime. Give me a call, 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email at johnh at totalfarmmarketing.com. And again, don't forget that website of ours, totalfarmmarketing.com. With that, John Heinberg, Total Farm Marketing. Always good to catch up with you, my friend. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Have a great week. Once again, that's John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing. We're out of time here today on Market Talk. Find us online at markettalkag.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.